Ayup me duck, which is the traditional Derby greeting to whoever we meet, whenever we meet them. And no, I don't actually know what Ayup me duck means, but who cares? Because what matters is that you're here and I'm here for the Art of Brilliance podcast series five, which is just a little bit different. So in this series, there are no guests. It's just you and I making a weekly commitment to 10 minutes or less. That's 10 minutes maximum per week every week for 52 weeks that you and I are committing to a personal relationship based on happiness and well-being. So time is short, let's crack on. Now, in this episode, I'm going to go right back to basics because what I've realised um, is that some people don't really know what we do at Art Brilliance. So we, you know, we talk about two percenters, and I had somebody on Twitter just yesterday going, "What? What's this two percent thing?" So, so let me start with that. Let's go back to the basics of what this is all about. So, essentially, I studied uh, psychology many, many years ago at university, and it's a really interesting subject, but it was about illness. So pretty much every lecture that I ever attended was named after a sort of phobias, disorders, anxiety, depression, paranoia, schizophrenia. Pretty much every lecture I attended was named after an illness because, of course, what psychology was at that time and what psychology pretty much has been in the 150 years of its existence is what we call a disease model. So psychology has always been predicated on, let's find out what's wrong with you, let's find out what's not working, and then here's some therapy, and here's some counselling, and hopefully that will work, and if that doesn't work, here's some medication. So, and I'm not, of course, we're not arguing that's a bad thing, that's a perfectly valid, uh, you know, it's what I studied, it's what psychologists study, for the right reasons, what we're trying to do is find people who are struggling and, and rescue them, okay? All well and good, we should continue to do that. My point is this, what, what, so building on the back of some research that came out of America in the late 1990s, what I realized is that pretty much, uh, well, it, is that despite the best, I, I'm struggling with my words here because I don't want to be putting the boot into psychology because I love psychology, right? But my point is this, despite the best efforts, I'll just tell you straight, despite the best efforts of 150 years of psychology despite the best efforts of the best counseling and the best therapy and the best cbt and the best medication that we can invent as human beings the actual truth and you see it every day and i see it on the news every day is that actually mental ill health has got a whole lot worse not a whole lot better so despite the best efforts of trying to kind of fix people there are more people breaking and the fixing isn't quick enough and, and therefore what psychology continues to do is well let's provide remedies and medication but let's do it more let's do more and more and more of what's essentially my argument is is it's not really working I know that's controversial right if you're a psychologist traditional psychologists don't really like me very much so I, I, I've learned to live with that so my point is this is that coming out of the research from the 1990s in the USA is what I realized is that pretty much forever for 150 years of psychology being in existence traditional psychologists have never ever studied people who were already happy okay on, on the basically on the grounds of them not being ill so all of us listening to this uh, podcast we can all think of in our life a handful of people pro probably a single handful of people actually in our life who've got something extra 
Now, whether that's an extra smile on their face, an extra spring in their step, an extra positive attitude, they it, it, work colleagues, right? These are the work colleagues who go the extra mile. Without without you, you don't have to ask them ten times. They'll just naturally want to make you go wow. These people seem to have this sort of inbuilt resilience. They've got more energy. They do stuff. They make things happen. They come up with solutions. To, uh, uh, they're great to have as work colleagues and they're even better to have as parents and grandparents and of course what we've done for 150 years is totally ignore these flourishing few on the grounds of them well you're having a perfectly good life you seem to be okay so you just crack on i've got all these ill people over here that are really struggling so my resources are going to be devoted to the ill people i know it's obvious i'm not saying we shouldn't do that but I came at it from pop, the positive psychology revolution, basically started to question the outliers. So when you plot people on a happiness graph, there's a few at the top of the well-being spectrum. Now, we nickname them the two percenters. This comes out of my sort of research, and it's a, it's a phrase that just stuck. So essentially what I, what I tried to do was flip psychology on its head. And so I spent uh, about 10 years at Loughborough University Business School, essentially trying to seek out these happiness outliers, flipping psychology away from, let's look at what's wrong with you so we can fix you, which psychology continues to do, and, and I'm not questioning that's not a good thing to do, of course it is. But I decided to seek out the happy ones that have been ignored for 150 years, uh, and ask three questions really. Well, first of all, three questions that psychology really couldn't answer at the time. Um, the first one is, of course, well, who the heck are they? Who are the happy people that have slipped through the net that we've totally ignored on the grounds of them having a smile and a spring in their step? So who are they? Secondly, what are they doing that allows them to feel so amazing? And thirdly, most importantly, that is sort of where my PhD went and now where all our webinars and our workshops and our keynotes spring out of is, what could we then learn from them, these happiness outliers on the graph, that we could then apply to our own lives so we might also feel amazing? And I know that that sounds obvious and I, I deliver keynotes and I, I land that point and I can see people going, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And I know it makes sense and I know it's obvious, but my point is that pretty much nobody had been doing it for 150 years of psychology. Now, of course, there's lots of people doing it now and I'm not claiming to have invented positive psychology, but I was, certainly was one of the first in the UK to really immerse myself in it and, uh, and get a PhD in it. So seeking out happy people, following them around and working out while they're so happy, I actually turned that into a job, which I know is weird. So essentially, if you, I, I gave out lots of diaries in the workplace to people like yourselves, working age people, and I asked people to record how they feel during the working week. And then I got lots of data and I was able to plot people onto a graph of happiness or well-being at work. And if I did that, the truth is very simple. Everybody's got a natural high point and a natural low point emotionally. So we've all got a point this week where we feel amazing. There's, a, there's an emotional high point that you will hit this week where you feel invincible, you feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you've got a smile, you've got an energy, you've got creativity. In fact, I feel so amazing at my high point of on my emotional graph that if you bring me a problem when I'm feeling amazing, it's kind of not a problem. I feel I've got resilience and the wherewithal and the creativity to, to basically deal with whatever life throws at me because it's me at my emotional best and you at your emotional best. And equally, if we plotted you onto a graph of well-being, everybody, <laughs> including the doctor of happiness, we've all got the other end of the well-being spectrum. We're very familiar with this sort of, where your shoulders have gone, there's no energy. Oh my gosh, maybe you've got an angry customer, maybe there's nowhere to park, maybe it's a drizzly day, maybe you've got too many emails. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but when you're feeling at that low ebb, 
everything seems like a big deal. So if you bring me exactly the same problem when I'm feeling a bit down, then all of a sudden it is a problem. Because I haven't got the creativity, I haven't got the energy, I haven't got the pizzazz. So essentially, there's a version of you, there's lots of rolling of eyes and tutting and you're just dragging yourself through the day. So we've all got a natural high point, natural low point. We already know that. Now, again, in the interest of like looking at the clock and making sure this comes within the promised 10-minute slot, is I then try to bring all that data together to build up a picture of the population out there. And the headline news is if you if you build up a graph of well-being, then there's far too many people spending far too much of their time sort of in the bottom third of the well-being graph. So, so we're human beings, we're a little bit negative, we're quite pessimistic, we, oh, we like to have a moan, don't we, basically. Now that's fine if you want to be fine. That's not depression, that's not sadness. That's not what psychology doesn't look at that. Psychology is below the graph. It's like there's a baseline that you can feel a bit low and then there's a line below that which is a clinical disorder. So anxiety, depression, parent, all those terrible things, of course they're real things and they're below your well-being baseline. That's a different thing. That's what psychology is predicated on looking at. But my, on my graph, I wasn't looking at depression. I was looking at people who were just a little bit stuck in being mediocre. You know, the slightly glum version of you that's counting down, looking forward to your weekend, looking forward to your happiness in, in the future, but not being happy today. That is a very common thing. Now, we call them mood hoovers. I, I'll do another. I'll do a, a follow-up part two in this because my 10 minutes is nearly up. But mood hoovers, again, let me just nail that. Mood hoovers are not sad. They're not depressed. They've not got a clinical disorder. But they are stuck in being just a little bit negative about everything. And um, I, th I tell you what, I'm going to park it there. I'm going to park it there because um, I'm on nine minutes now. So... So essentially, what this web, what this webinar was was just like a reminder about where where all of our podcasts and all of our videos and all of our webinars and all of our workshops actually come from is a science based approach. Really, I mean, we, of course, we remove the big words and we try and deliver things with a spring in our step. But essentially, the world is full of very pe people who get stuck in being themselves. Averagely, it's very easy to get stuck there. And all we want to do is share some research and some top tips that nudge you towards being a 2% or being your best self more often. Phew, just pulled that in in 10 minutes. So <laughs> until next time, happy 2%ing. Thanks for listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell the world. A nice review would make our day. That's the very best way of getting like-minded people to tune into our very simple messages about happiness and human flourishing. If you've hated it, please keep quiet. Remember the world has enough negativity already. So be a lover, not a hater. Feel free to check out our training and the little shop of happiness at artofbrilliance.co.uk. Thanks again. See you next time for another amazing episode.